When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. There are parts of the Christian uh, family for generations who break up uh, the calendar year into different seasons, and these seasons remind us of different practices, and they also remind us of dif- different lessons. We're, we're right now in the season of Advent, which is a, uh, comes from the Latin word, which means an arrival uh, uh, for a promise of a coming. And uh, so during Advent, we remember there being a time where people longed for a Messiah who longed for someone who would deliver them from slavery, from hardship. And for us on this side of Jesus, we also remember the promise that Jesus gave that he's going to come again, that he's going to arrive again. And uh, so in this season, we practice this idea of expectant waiting. And for many of us, we would easily say, we do not like to wait. Waiting is not something that comes naturally, nor is it something that we would like to celebrate as a community. Yet, Advent comes to us each year and says that there might be something you're missing out on when you don't learn to wait, when you don't wait with faith, uh, when you don't wait with expectation. When you try to microwave your way through life, you're missing out on sacred experiences. And so for us as a community, we are looking at this idea of what does it look like to wait? And so this morning, I would like to start off by asking you to acknowledge the longing that you brought into this room with you. For each of us, we might have longings and something we're holding on to, something we're waiting for that we carry with us. Sometimes it's on the surface of our mind and sometimes it's deep, deep buried within our hearts. And that might be we're waiting for Christmas, we're waiting to see our loved ones, maybe uh, we're, we're waiting um, for relationships to be restored. Maybe there's even deeper waitings that we have. We're waiting for a job opportunity. We're waiting to hear back from a diagnosis. There's some heavy waitings and longings that, we, that many of us are carrying with us. The idea of waiting for pregnancy, uh, that's, that gets weighty, that gets heavy. And for you, even though you might not uh, right now being a time of waiting, there have been times in your life where that was your, your experience. That was the season of your life. So if that's not where you are today, 
Think back on a time of your life when that was the case. Think back at the time of life where you had this huge longing that was really wonky and heavy and hard to carry with you every single day. And what I would hope to do is encourage you to plop that longing down on your lap and actually join in a conversation that Simeon gives us in his example. And my hope is at the end of this that you would be able to take that longing to God in a more faithful way. Today we're gonna look at Simeon's story and secondly his lesson, his example for us. I'm gonna take some liberty now in coloring in the details of Simeon's life and his story. We don't know much about him, so I'm gonna take some liberty just to, just to build up a story a little bit just so he's not some wooden character in Bible, but he's actually a human, a human much like you and I. And so what we know from Simeon is in verse 25 that he was a man in Jerusalem and he was righteous and devout. He had, Simeon had learned to walk with God. He knew the Torah. He knew how to care for his fellow, fellow Hebrews and live a life of justice and righteousness. And he had learned to listen to God. And a momentous day happened one day. As he was walking through the streets of Jerusalem this one evening, he stopped and he looked back at this city. And deep within his soul, the voice of God said, Simeon, you're not going to die before you see the Savior, before you see the Lord's Messiah. This word of God, it, it spoke deep within his heart and slowly it began to register in his mind and hope and wonder filled his heart and his mind that he was promised by God that he was going to see his Savior. Simeon, this, was, this is what's momentous because God chose to, sp- to speak to him And the reality, the fact that he was going to be able to lay his eyes on the Savior of the world. He was enthusiastic. He ran home. He went to start telling his loved ones, and they all were like, that's nice, Simeon, that God told you that. That's interesting. So he learned to kind of keep this dream that was planted within his heart to himself, not to to raise up skeptics and cynics. So the next day he woke up and wondered if this would be the day that he would see his Savior. He wondered if this day would be the day that he would be able to see his Savior. And this changed how he looked at everyone. Anyone he met, he wondered, I wonder if this is the one. I wonder if that's the one. Anytime he saw someone teach or do something large in his community, he wondered, I wonder if that's the Messiah. I wonder if that's the person. And that day came and it went. And the next morning he woke up and wondered, maybe today's the day. And that day came and went, and days turned into months, months turned into years, and years turned into decades. And there were many days where Simeon woke up and never once thought about the promise that God had given him, because that hope and that promise had, had worn off its luster, it had worn off its beauty. And something interesting happened. Um, even though he started forgetting about the promise, there were other days where he would remember the promise. There were other moments that this promise that God gave him had almost become a thing of, of pain. Moments like when he saw a Roman soldier abuse a fellow Hebrew for no reason, just because she was vulnerable. A moment when, she was, when he was walking through the streets of Jerusalem and saw children on the streets who were motherless and fatherless and hungry They didn't have a home, and he wondered, why not today? 
Why not today, a Messiah? When he saw loved ones die slowly and painfully without the comforts of medicine that you and I have, he wondered, why not today? And Simeon began to take this thing that was beautiful and joyous and actually was now a source of pain, and questions crept up into his mind. Did God really say that back all those times, all those years ago? Did he really say that to me? Does God care? Why does he wait? What a cruel trick to play on someone, to give them a hope, to give them a promise, to give them a dream, and then force them to walk through life and try to remember it and try to have faith. Do you know what allowed Simeon to remain devout and righteous even though he had those thoughts, even though he had those questions? Is rather than pushing down the hardness of waiting, rather than pushing it down further and further into his mind and his soul, he actually lifted it up and he asked those questions to God. He actually wrestled with God to figure out what was going on. And that is why God called him righteous and devout. And every day when God would come to him, all God would say was the echo of the first promise, which was, you're not going to die before you see your Savior. And Simeon would say the same thing that he learned to say to God every single day, which was, why not today? It all did change one day. Simeon heard that same voice, felt that same nudge from years and years and years ago, but this time it was different. God's spirit simply told Simeon to go to the temple. Today's your day. Verse 27, moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts and his heart was pounding. He had to raise up his robe with excitement and ran to the temple like in the, uh, the speed of a younger man. Old men like that did not run, but he did not care because he was going to be able to see his savior this day, to see the world's savior this day. So he went to the temple and as soon as he entered, his eyes started darting around from person to person wondering, where is this Savior? And so his eyes darted on, and it landed on someone. This person was, was powerful. This person was affluent. They had prominence and already had a following. And Simeon, his eyes laid on them and said, I, I wonder if this is the person. Surely this could be the Messiah. And then God's voice was silent. So his eyes darted around the another part of the temple, and he saw someone else. Oh, there's this young rabbi who's coming up through the ranks. He has an awesome pedigree. Everyone knows he's, he's from a holy family, people who, who just have been known to know God. And surely that is the new Messiah. And God's voice was silent. And then someone else came in. This person was known for being powerful. This, known, this person was known to be militant. Maybe God would call that person new Messiah and there'd be an uprising against Rome and they would clean them out And this nation would again be God's, and this temple would be pure. Maybe that would be the Messiah. And God's voice was silent. Without knowing it, in the shadows of the temple, this young couple was walking through. And they had with them a young child. And Simeon looked at them. Well, that's that's not a likely character, he thought to himself. And instead, God said, in the shadows of this space, it was clear that, that this couple took to him and took Jesus to Jerusalem 
to present him to the Lord. As it is written, the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Verse 24, to offer a sacrifice in keeping with that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons, there would be sacrificed. This last little bit for you and I is like just this random bizarre tidbit of information. But for Simeon, this is really telling. Why is this really telling? The fact that they had with them a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Why the ambiguity, right? Why not just choose it? Why this is telling is in Leviticus 12, uh, Leviticus 12 there's, a, um, there's a commandment for how a woman is made pure again after childbirth. And what, <clears throat> what they were commanded to do was in verse 6 of Leviticus 12. When the days of your purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of the meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon for a dove or sin offering. Notice, a lamb and a dove or a pigeon. Now, lambs were really, really costly. They're super expensive. So there are some in that society who weren't able to simply go out and purchase a lamb. So God gave them a provision. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons. This is what we see with Mary. Mary is here without a lamb because she can't afford it. And the interesting thing is that the religious system was gracious, but also kind of, kind of cruel. It was gracious in the fact that Mary was given a provision that to, to be able to make a sacrifice, to be able to made pure again, but it was cruel because their standing in society was made so obvious, right? Like everyone knew when this couple was coming in with this newborn, and when she's carrying these two doves, that their sign of their poverty was as clear to anyone else as anything else about them. So Simeon is looking at this temple and then sets eyes on this poor young couple with a newborn. And before Simeon could look away at a more likely suspect, that same voice that spoke to him years ago said to him, there he is. Simeon, your, your waiting is over. There's your savior. Go and look at him. And so Simeon, his legs staggered, and he went to this couple, and like an emboldened grandmother at Walmart who feels like she can pick up a baby that's not her own, <laughs> Simeon reached out to this stranger's child. We don't have any babies in this room, do we? Does, any, does anyone have a baby in this room? Okay, good. We have them all up in the nursery. Quiet. Yeah, I hear it. Simeon picks up this strange child, lifts him up without asking for permission, and is embracing the Savior in his hands. Simeon held Jesus, and it was like all of time stopped. God was in his hands. Salvation for the world is in his hands. And what a picture of God. That God doesn't come to us in the form of something powerful or prominent or something that is seen as high and mighty. God comes to us in the form of something that is so vulnerable, so easily wounded. That God comes to us in the form that is so easily overlooked. And here is Simeon 
holding this, and something began to spill out of his heart, and that thing was love, and that thing was gratitude, and that thing was joy, and when Simeon, he didn't know what to say, when people, I know this from musicals, when people don't know what to say, they break out into song and to dance, right? (laughs) When, like, reality just gets too full, you just are supposed to break out into song, which I kind of wish happened in our life anyways, and Simeon breaks out into praise, Mere words won't do justice, and so he breaks out into praise in Luke 2, 29, 32. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. In other words, what Simeon said here is, my life is is now complete. I have seen your salvation. And this is not just for me, but this is for all people because your salvation has broken into human history and there it will always be. It will always be. This is not for just Israel. This is just for the whole world. Not only for whatever year that was, but also for 2016 in a place called Austin, Texas. Simeon was looking at our Savior too. And Mary Joseph, they didn't know what to do at this moment. Mary put down the bottle of Purell that she was quickly going to apply to, <laughs> to Jesus. And the, verse 33, the child's father and mother, they marveled at what was said about him. The same thing for them that was said by the voice of angels and by random shepherd is now being said by this righteous stranger. The same, same message that this indeed is the Savior. But Simeon wasn't done. Either because of divine inspiration or a careful reading of the Torah, he had a word, a blessing to give to the parents. Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And Mary thought, that's a weird blessing. (laughs) Notice these just weird cryptic words. Jesus will cause a couple things to happen. He will cause the falling and rising of many, that this prince of peace is actually really divisive. This prince of peace causes a crisis in people. And some people, because of Jesus, are risen up, they are lifted up, and other people are made low. And just by the way, do you know who is lifted up by Jesus in the story of Jesus? Do you know the people who are lifted up? They're people who are waiting. They're people who are waiting for a savior. They're people who are starving for salvation and hungry for it. They're people who are waiting for a deliverer. Jesus goes straight to them and lifts them up. And do you know who's made low? They're the people who are doing fine on their own. They're the people who aren't experiencing hunger and thirst for salvation. There are the people who don't really need grace. And we see in the story of Jesus, those people are made low. The second thing Jesus will do is he will expose the thoughts and hearts of people. This light into the world will shine in the hearts of people and what seem hidden will be exposed. And that's out of love and grace. 
And the third thing that Jesus will do will cause a sword that will pierce Mary's own soul too. And notice what scripture says Simeon does next. Nothing. He just walks away. He just leaves the whole sword thing out there and just walks away. And you have to wonder, for years, Mary wondered about that sword, the promise of the sword. Many years later, Mary would experience that sword, I, I imagine, than any mother would experience when they see their beloved child, even as an adult, their beloved child, be given up and be killed and murdered. And when Jesus was on the cross to ensure that he was dead, they pierced his side to make sure that, that Jesus was finished. And Mary was there. And I imagine that the heart of a mother would be pierced by seeing that as well. Thanks for the blessing, Simeon. I like to wonder about Simeon's life from this point, the release he must have felt towards God, the fact that his life was complete. And for us, it gives us a great example for each of us in our own waiting, in our own times. So now I want you to pick up that longing that you brought in that's now sitting on your lap, that's listening in on this conversation. And I want to finish by beginning a conversation between you and that longing that I hope goes on after you leave this place. Simeon gives us an incredible example about how to walk through our seasons of Advent with faith and love that ends with joy. First, Simeon was able to be spiritually attentive while he waited. He was still listening to God even as years passed on. And I know that's hard. For many of us who wait, it's easier to do it without our soul intact. If we are carrying something that we're longing for, it's easier to actually unplug from our soul, unplug from our relationship with Jesus, and just give up and walk through life. But what Simeon would say to you if you're in a season of Advent is he would look at you and say, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep listening to God. Keep falling towards grace. <clears throat> keep, keep, uh, keep asking your questions of God. Keep listening. Carry your longings again and again and again to God and cling to Jesus with your longings. He will see you through this. He's not gonna leave you alone. The second thing that Simeon gives us as a lesson is that sometimes the fulfillment of promises, they also include a sword. Mary probably didn't know what to expect of Jesus' life, and I doubt that a sword was part of the negotiation of being able to, to, to be the mother of God. But even though we know God is the giver of grace and giver of hope, this doesn't mean that our life's stories will be without swords, that we won't be wounded in the process. You know the old adage that God doesn't give you more than you can handle? It's just not true. <laughs> it's also not in the Bible. But it's just not true. God continually, or life continually, gives us more than we can handle. And the promise is with that, is even though there are swords that we are given in this life, that God promises that they're not the end of the story. Jesus still causes the rising and falling in many, in, in our lives. And what is risen in God's kingdom is that love rises Hope and healing rises, and Jesus' kingdom reigns forever. That's the thing that is lifted up, especially in the final advent. And the problem for us 
is that we just have to be willing to walk through pain to get there. I just wish that Jesus would have given us a warning, like, hey, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to, like, I don't know, pick up your cross and walk after me and follow me. This is part of our journey. But the end is not with a sword. The end is with redemption and healing. Why? Because the third thing and final thing that uh, Simeon gives us in this example is Simeon knew what it was like to rejoice in holding and beholding salvation. Simeon's life was fulfilled in seeing and embracing Jesus. Remember what Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now this might be nitpicky, but I think there's something to this. Notice he didn't say, my eyes have seen the Savior. My eyes have seen this your salvation. Now, what might be to that? A savior brings about deliverance, and Jesus definitely did that, but he also did something more. And for Simeon, he knew that he was looking more at just the conduit of God's salvation. Salvation for Jesus was not merely an act. It was not merely an event, but salvation was in a person. When Simeon was looking at Jesus He was looking at salvation itself. And if salvation is in a person, how do we experience it? We have to be in a relationship with it. We have to learn what does it mean like to be in relationship with salvation? What does it mean to be in relationship with Jesus who is in our salvation? It means we have to spend time with him. It means we have to learn to follow him. It means we have to learn to listen to him. And for some of us in this room today, we've never really experienced that. You might have known about Jesus, but you've never given yourself to really be in relationship and embrace your salvation. And for me, what I would say during your season of Advent is give yourself to it. Salvation, it rests in this relationship with Jesus. There's others of us here today, the idea of being saved is, has lost its beauty, it's lost its mystery, it's lost its wonder and its value. Through the repetition of life and or religion, we just forget the basic truths of the gospel, and in forgetting, we lose a little bit of our soul. Those basic truths are the fact that God knows you by name. There's not been one second of your life that God wasn't with you. He's walked with you through everything and he has demonstrated in a million ways every single day how much he loves you, thinks of you, cares for you, delights in you. And this God does it as if there's nothing else for him to do in this world. How does that register in your heart today? How does that register, how does that move the needle at all within your soul that there is a salvation that you can embrace today? For me, if you were to ask me, Mark, I'm not sure if I am embracing this salvation, I would look at one place, and that place is your gratitude. To what degree are you living in gratitude, not only for this life, but for who God is? Not what God has given you, but who Jesus is for you. Take that longing that you brought into this room in this one hand. It might be clunky and large today. Make room in the other hand for Jesus. 
during the season of Advent, learn to embrace Jesus, because in doing so, you're embracing your salvation.